Hey, Risto here at George Mason University. I'm here with Lewis Francis Edge and Annette Stride. Uh, both were at Leeds Beckett University at the time of this research. Uh, that's in the United Kingdom. Um, we're here to discuss an article titled Basketball Shorts, Plantation Food, and Ponytail Weaves, Black Teachers' Experiences of Becoming and Being a Physical Education Teacher. Um, the article was recently published in uh, the Journal of Physical Education for Pedagogy. Um, you can find the full citation, as always, in the article notes. Um, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming on and thanks for sharing your work. Uh, hi, Aristo. Lovely, really lovely to be here. Um, currently sat in sunny Sheffield, although it's not, although it's not so sunny outside. Um, I'd like to take this uh, moment to sort of acknowledge my co-authors, Annette Stride and uh, Hayley Fitzgerald, whose expertise and efforts are absolutely unmatched. <laughs> I love it. Thanks, uh, Lewis. And, and yeah, thanks, Risto, for, for inviting us today. And yeah, I'm really pleased that Lewis can join us because without Lewis, the research would not have happened and the, the paper certainly wouldn't have taken place. So thanks both. And Lewis, before we get started, can you clarify, was this your master's thesis? Uh, yeah, it was. It was my master's thesis that I did at um, Leeds Beckett, yeah. Uh, that, that's really impressive, honestly, to get a first author publication as a master's student, one, and the way in this which which this was written uh, is not a strict, like, it's not a standard I did these interviews and I did field notes and I'm presenting data in a in a formatted way that typically a lot of people learn in grad school or in their PhD. I, I love the format of this and we'll, we'll talk about it, but um, I just wanted to say congratulations on um, getting this publication out. Like really, really cool, especially in the position that you're at as a master's student. Not a lot of people can say that. Yeah, um, well, thank you very much. I mean, it definitely wouldn't have been sort of gotten there without the support of um, Annette and Haley. You know, they sort of um, they were the vehicle, uh, could you say? Uh, you could say, and they were sort of um, sort of got me sort of to the finish line with it. And obviously, Leeds Beckett had been absolutely incredible throughout that as well. I think. So, um, sorry, Risto. I'm sure Lewis at times has been uh, driven crazy by myself and Haley because, um, you know, like I say, after completing the map has gone on to, to do his PGCE which uh, or teacher training which we we know is a really difficult and challenging year for for, for students and at that time myself and Hayley were like this is just too good a, a story not to be told so at, at the time Lewis was trying to manage all of that we were like come on we've got to write a paper about it so I think it's testament here to to Lewis's kind of resilience and, and ability to balance lots of multiple um, tasks that we've we've kind of got the paper at the the level that it's at and got it out there. So it's another well done, Lewis. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I, so one of the one of the ways that I find some of these papers to invite on the podcast is I have Google Scholar alerts on on areas of research and certain scholars. So. Annette, you have a Google Scholar alert, and this popped up, and okay. I saw this title, and I was like, oh, I got to read at least the abstract to see what this is about, and I think <laughs> the title, obviously, there's certain certain papers that just, like, pop up, and you're, like, in, so the title hooked, so can you talk to me about, 
what was the story behind the title of your study? Um, yeah, so um, it originated from the data collected um, during the interview process. Um, uh, myself, Annette and Haley, um, we feel the titles are really powerful, you know, uh, basketball shorts, plantation food and ponytail weaves. Um, they're all direct quotes, uh, essentially, from the Black Bee teachers in this study. Um, moreover, as well, we felt that it, it may resonate with other Black Bee teachers and beyond. And it's important to note that um, the title is a stark reality of the everyday micro um, racial microaggressions Black teachers are faced with in their lives also. It was yeah. interesting, wasn't it? Sorry, Risto. It was interesting because when we, we got the reviews back for the paper, there was about that title. And we we actually went back to the research participants to see how they felt about it. And um, those that responded to us were really positive about what we were trying to do. It wasn't about trying to reinforce any sort of you know, black stereotypes about teachers. It was like Lewis said, these were the the direct quotes and experience of these teachers on a daily basis. And we thought it's really important that that, um, that kind of leads the paper just through the title. Yeah, and and reading some of the data, and we'll we'll talk about that later, but like some of the quotes or in, in that narrative that you write, like stop me in my tracks. Like especially uh, the part about the plantation food, like I was, I just like stopped reading, and then it was like, well, if I was in this situation in any other situation other than being a student with this supervisor saying those comments, like really powerful stuff. But yeah. I'm going back. So let let's talk about the background. And so obviously in the U.S. Uh, system, there are similarities and differences to the UK system with English schools. Um, but can you give us an overview of English schools and specifically the PE setting regarding the diversity of students and teachers? Like in the US, we have a, a really diversifying student body, which in most states is more non-white than white. And then the teachers are still 80% white, female, middle class. So. Um, is are those trends similar in English school and in the PE settings? Yeah, yeah. I, I think the last sort of figures that myself and Lewis retrieved definitely reflect the same kinds of um, statistics that you're talking about there. Obviously, in English schools, it can differ across particular schools and particular areas. We know there are some areas that are very white and middle class, and that's reflected in the student population. But on average, um, the recent statistics suggested that that around a third of students in, in secondary schools are from a, a minority ethnic background. And then we have to add to that diversity when we consider students with special educational needs and they make up about a fifth of students in mainstream secondary schools. And then of course, we've got students from different socioeconomic backgrounds, students that identify as LGBTQ plus. Um, and that diversity is definitely a stark contrast to who we see at the front of the classroom. And that was, you know, one of the points that Lewis was making in his vignette that starts the paper off. Um, I think when we were looking at um, statistics for the paper, it was something like 15 percent of teachers in education broadly 
identify as being from a, a minority ethnic community. And when we look at particular areas, particular job roles in schools and particular subject areas like PE, that number drops even further. I think it was something like 4% of PE teachers were from a minority ethnic background. Yeah, so I mean, that's awfully low considering how diverse certain schools are, especially in major metropolitan areas in um, in the UK, England and in the US. Um, and so there's there's an attrition of minority ethnic PE educators. Um, what what do you have to say about that in general? And are the PEEP programs in uh, England, are they addressing the challenges? Like what's, is there like a drive for recruiting more diverse teachers or how are those uh, getting any traction? Um, well, um, interesting question, actually. So, you know, you've got to look at sort of the research um, sort of before that. So sort of note the work of uh, Bassett uh, et al. 2006 and uh, Simon and Azarito 2009, uh, 2019, sorry. Uh, both papers provide extensive examples of sort of how black and ethnic minority students on initial teacher training programs or uh, PET programs encounter instances of um, racism and sort of felt sort of isolated during their um, time teaching. Uh, attrition within the profession as well has been linked to um, a number of challenges uh, black and ethnic minority teachers are faced with during their career, including sort of uh, reports of greater instances of discrimination, uh, verbal abuse, less support from school management in comparison to their um, um, sort of white peers, uh, inequalities in pay and promotion opportunities, and also being sort of allocated these, um, you know, roles that are linked to racial stereotypes, such as being in charge of behavior management, uh, being a role model for their community, um, and leaning on sort of uh, events such as uh, Black History Month. Um, and activities of that sort of uh, ideology and also a uh, feeling of um, professional alienation and loneliness and this sort of latter uh, aspect was a sort of a recurring theme in our uh, in our study with participants giving examples of how they felt um, out of place uh, ignored dismissed and that sort of feeling of not belonging um, this has two sort of like sort of prime sort of effects uh, there's that emotional toll and there's uh, the reinforcement um, of the belief that teaching is not for people who are from a black and ethnic minority background. Uh, for instance, during the discussion between um, Leon and Shanice, um, Leon mentions how a joke made is expensive when referring to Caribbean food um, in terms of that sort of a plantation um, sort of a pot, uh, ideology inside of that paper. Um, this being sort of a banter, which uh, negatively affects uh, Leon's experience of teaching and further reinforce the idea that teaching is not for people that like them or us. Uh, whilst um, sort of PT programs or ITT programs should offer opportunities for tra teachers trainees to be more critical of current systems and practices and feel empowered to make change, research around initial teacher training uh, demonstrates greater rates of attrition for ethnic minority students from these programs in comparison to their um, sort of white teachers uh, or white peers, sorry. This has been linked to black and minority ethnic students experiencing racism on top of the many difficulties um, of what students face during that um, sort of ITT year, which obviously, you know, there's quite a lot of things that you face. Um, sort of Ben's research has been significant in highlighting how traditional practices such as um, mixed sex teaching and how uh, 
clothing creates barriers for Muslim women trainee teachers. And Anne Flintoff's work has highlighted how isolation from minority ethnic students is created through racialized jokes and banter, uh, questioning of their, their acceptance onto the course and their placement in predominantly white schools. Our findings all also reflect how uh, you know, racist stereotypes are um, operated to question Leon's very being um, through his dress, hairstyle, and food choices at a time where he felt he had sort of limited uh, opportunities to challenge because of his position as a trainee teacher. Uh, PET, PET or ITT programs are instrumental in those early days of uh, teacher development. I mean, this uh, links you know, very broadly to um, occupational socialization theory and the early, wake of, uh, early work of Lawson, 1986, and consequently the work of um, uh, Richards and Templin, uh, 2014. Cr uh, crucially, uh, initial teacher training programs are uniquely positioned during those early stages of professional socialization to challenge issues of inequality through their practices, um, delivery of CPD, and more importantly, um, teacher pedagogy as well. Yeah, and, and it's interesting because the way that you brought up this the story of that banter and that emotional toll that the the student in that case who who's black, like he didn't comment as much as I like read in that he didn't like put his back up and confront that teacher. And so in that way, the because there's such a power imbalance and the student wanted to just say, well, I need to get a good grade in this class or in this course, I needed to pass. So that friendly banter, it's 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 almost like a one way, right? It's one way the teacher makes a joke in a power position and makes fun of and really insults the student, but the student doesn't have a position there to speak up. So the teacher one doesn't see it, and but the student is carrying that burden without being almost in a way allowed to talk about it. And you know, those are those are the situations that you document really well in this um in this paper that it's a lot of times it's like this silent suffering in a way that you just have to kind of take it because there's racist things being said to you but you don't have the position at that point or you weigh your options and you're like okay well this is not the battle i'm going to fight now because i have to get a degree so i get a job and i and i move forward would you say that's an accurate depiction um Absolutely, absolutely. There, there are there are sort of areas of um, you know I need to get a good grade in, in order to pass this course and um, to get that degree to move forward and get a job into teaching and sort of fulfil that sort of um, long life dream of teaching as well. So there definitely is sort of um, an area of that where they feel they can't speak up because obviously it will damage them moving um, further on down the line. Absolutely. So before we go into like the methods and the, and the results of your paper, I'm wondering if we can do a couple term definitions here so people are on the same page. Um, back in episode, I think it's 202, uh, I had a scholar on that talked about tribal critical race theory. Um, so we've talked about that in the podcast, and so you can link to that. Um, but one of the things that you do use here is critical race theory, and I'm wondering if you can kind of give a brief summary of that and what what is that uh, theory? Yeah, I'll take this one, um, Risto. So for us, critical race theory is um, a sort of analytical 
framework really to that helps you to i guess explore the legacy um and the persistence of racial inequalities that occur in all aspects of social life so we're talking about housing employment the criminal justice system education and politics and so on and so forth and critical race theory starts with this this um premise that race is a socially constructed category and it's one that is used to exploit and oppress and marginalize and discriminate people of color um racism isn't just an a kind of a product of individual actions or mistreatment it's much bigger than that it's systemic and i think what critical race theory does is it offers us this kind of critical tool to look at and and analyze and explore and explain how racism is embedded in institutions through their systems their policies and how that spills over into behaviors to kind of create and maintain racial disparities and discriminations and almost ensures that certain groups of people can maintain these positions of privilege and power and what i would really like to to draw uh, the listeners to is tara blackshear's analysis um, so Tara Blatchley wrote a paper where she analysed the winners of the Shape America Teacher of the Year awards. And I think she does a really good example of bringing critical race theory to, to life in that paper. So she kind of took, um, I think between 2008 and 2018, she looked at the winners and identified that, that not one um, teacher from a minority ethnic group won the award at the national level and I think there was just one at the district level and she she demonstrates how like an all-white selection board ensures that white ideals and values remain as a kind of standard by which all teachers are are going to be judged by and measured and then that fails to recognize the sort of very different ways that some black educators can support students such that their their achievements then go unrecognized and, and undervalued so um yeah in terms of uh, reading a little bit more around critical race theory because i think we've just given a very simplistic overview there i would definitely direct um people to some of um tara blackshear's work and we, we referenced that in the the paper i think the we know that critical race theory has a number of um, central tenets or themes and in this paper we just focused on two of them which were permanence of racism and counter storytelling so the permanence of racism proposes that racism racism is an inherent and an endemic aspect of society it controls all aspects of life it justifies racial hierarchies and then counter storytelling is um, a really powerful means of representing data from research participants in their own words. Um, and it offers this alternative reality from white dominant understandings. And that that's why we kind of went with the, the narrative um, approach in the paper. So I hope that's answered your question. 
No, and that's that's a great overview. Um, and I and I love that it does fit very well with the narratives that you share. And and on and on Blackshear's paper, um, I remember when she presented that at ICEP in 2019 in uh, in New York, and that paper has gotten a lot of traction since then. Um, and it is, you know, it was a wake up call for a lot of people at Shape and. And I think they're trying to do a lot more, a lot more things, but it, there was a long track record there for sure. That was, it wasn't obvious until it was, you know, <laughs> until it was somebody who did the research and showed it systematically that, um, you know, we talk about diversity and we talk about recruiting more diverse teachers, but when those examples are not present, you know, how, how harder, how much harder it, does it make, you know, um, so one of the other terms that came up here briefly, but I think that is really important to explain and what I try to teach our students at, at Mason in our social cultural class is the, the term colorblind. And yeah. I think, you know, if you grew up in the U.S. in the 80s and 90s, that was who you were taught to be. You don't see color. This is a colorblind approach. And, you know, a lot of um, there's a lot of critique to that. So can you can you explain what that colorblind approach is and how that kind of plays in? Yeah, so I think for us, when people talk about colorblindness, they are referring to this ideology or belief um, that we should be treating individuals the same um, as equally as possible, uh, which, yeah, is a great idea. Um, but, you know, it's saying we, we shouldn't be worrying about issues of race or culture or ethnicity. Um, but unfortunately, those issues do matter. We know they matter. We see the evidence that they matter. Um, so we can't ignore people's race or ethnicity or, or culture because they ultimately do impact and influence opportunities, belief systems, the way people are treated, relationships, and like I've said before, income and housing and education and so on. So if we adopt a colour color, color blind approach, this existence of racism and the, the kind of negative experiences that, that people of colour um, go through tend to get ignored and denied. Um, and again, like we've we've just been talking with the examples of some of the research participants, that takes an emotional toll for those for those people because there isn't an outlet, there isn't somewhere to to challenge it. So um, yeah, hopefully that that explains our use of color blindness in the paper. Yeah, and and thank you for that. What. So can you give me a brief explanation of the methods, like who are the participants and what kind of data did you collect? Uh, yeah, of course. So um, they were semi-structured um, interviews um, and participatory methods were the main source of, um, sort of data collection. The interviews after, uh, lasted roughly sort of like sort of 45 minutes to an hour, uh, depending on obviously how long the discussion went on for. Um, participants also created a timeline of their journey into PE and beyond. So it, it sort of covered many different factors. Uh, this embedded them within the research and created a robust uh, dialogue during the uh, interview. So they had something that sort of scaffolded the um, interview questions as well. Uh, six, uh, six black or BME um, 
black minority ethnic PE teachers um, with vast experience ranging from um, sort of ECT to um, SLT with uh, 20 odd years um, sort of experience. So it's quite a lot of experience. Um, overall, the, you know, the, they sort of had this sort of vast uh, sort of understanding of it, the educational system and um, they worked at sort of different levels within a school um, and they all had, they all were from different backgrounds also. So there were two specific pieces that got me kind of thinking uh, that are a little different than like a traditional general qualitative methods. Um, you taught, you use timelines and counter stories. Can you just elaborate a little bit on those? Uh, yeah, most definitely. So um, they're, they're really interested in, they're actually, some of them were really, really fun um, um, sort of to, um, to complete and uh, create, uh, especially from the sort of the, you know, participation uh, part, participant sort of aspect of it. So uh, participants created a, sort of a timeline based around their journey into PE and beyond. This timeline could include sort of anything at all, sort of um, this sort of, I, sort of idea of sort of whatever they believe sort of influenced their journey into physical education. So sort of, for example, sort of an event, an activity, a person or people, um, a team, sort of like a sports team, um, a moment or a, even a happening. Um, this might include both sort of positive and negative experiences or challenges. Uh, interestingly, both of the both of the timelines, uh, sort of like they were very very unique. Um, sort of, for example, um, some use the timeline to speak about their sporting journey, which for many was influenced by their ethnicity, whereas others spoke about how influences such as family, environment, and role models influenced their decision to become a PE teacher. The uh, participant timelines also, like previously said, sort of scaffolded the interview questions and were referred to throughout as well. Um, we chose counter stories for this paper as it was sort of one of the sort of five tenets of critical race theory also. And we felt this particular uh, counter story uh, that is comprised of all sort of research participants depicted through uh, roughly through uh, three characters, Leon, Shanice and Clive enabled a group of often sort of marginalized um, sort of individuals within the research to tell their story in their own words and sort of provide, provide a sort of alternative view from societal norms and majority stories. So essentially the way that you kind of present some of the data is through uh, these vignettes. So um, just, to, just to further clarify, so, because I think this is such a, cool way to present the data um but i'm sure like you know it's not how do i say this so it's not like direct quotes assigned to this specific person you're you're creating like a story like for example like when you start in the in the results it says as a train pulls away from the platform rain streaking down the windows i look up and spot them it must be eight years since we were at the university and he hasn't changed tall, lean head, nodding to music like that, that style of like creative writing in a way is, is not as common. I think it's a fantastic way to do that for me as a, as a researcher who publishes qualitative research, that seems super daunting to me to think about how do I create a narrative with pulling the correct data because they are quotes in there that are exactly from people but you've kind of created the created these like situations that bring this to life 
Um, you know, and also like you're you did this, Lewis, as a as a graduate student, as a master's student. Like, can you talk and maybe Annette, like, what was your process of going through this? Because it seems uh it seems really intense. Like as a master's student, my head was not able to wrap around this. And even as a you know professor, like this is super daunting to me. Can you talk about that process? Was it easy, simple, like this is just felt natural or was it something that you had to learn? Do you want me to answer this one, Lewis? Go on, Annette, I'll give that to you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I guess in terms of Lewis's master's dissertation, that was a lot more traditional Risto. So um, Lewis did a uh, thematic analysis and presented his findings in like a typical, a typical themed way. Um, it was only really when we we came to talk about the possibility of writing a paper together that we we then thought about yeah just trying to be a bit more creative in the way that we presented the data and um i guess like you've said you know you saw the title and that pulled you in and then you look at the paper and like you know we we started the paper off with Lewis's vignettes and I think that's pulled people into reading it and I think sometimes that's part of the battle with academic papers it's how do we attract that audience and then hold that audience's attention so I think we we had discussions myself Lewis and Hayley about if we're going to write this write this up as a paper how do we how do we want to present it? And I think that the idea of these, um, I guess we call them, they are creative, but they're also critical and then they're non-fictional in some respects because they are um, using direct quotes from the research participants. We felt that that was a way to, um, you know, keep people interested in the paper, but it also, um, fitted very much so with you know the 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 critical race theory framework that that guided the the research in the first place so i guess the quick answer is originally in terms of the masters and producing that um dissertation it was traditional thematic analysis and lewis wrote his findings chapters based around a number of themes but then that gave us a, a base from which to work. How can we embed these themes in this sort of critical, creative um, story about these composite characters? I, I, I hope that's answered your question. Yeah, no, I, I love it because I think that, and I had um, Ben Williams and Mikkel Quanderstead's paper as a part of a an article club we did about like dining with a parasite or something like that was the title of the of the paper but it was done as like a six course meal that's how the paper was written and it was so fascinating to talk to them later offline about their process of writing that paper because when you pick up this paper you read the you read the title like you said and you're like okay I'm gonna give this a chance and then mm. right away you get hit with a vignette and you're like 
oh, I can like be brought in instead of most papers that start with children in the US and around the world are obese and overweight. They are <laughs> inactive. And you're like, got the sentence. Okay, I've seen that sentence in every single paper. Um, but I just, I, I found the way that you approach a super uh, interesting. And for those of you who are, um, you know, listening that want to read it, I think it's um, really well written and uh, kind of dives in. And I'll, I'll be honest, the second time I read through these, I actually listen to them. There's a new app called listening.com, not a paid advertisement. Um, but I love it because I can drop a PDF in there and listen to it while I'm driving in the car. And to me, when I was reading this or listening to it, it sounds like an audiobook. You know, you go into the to the methods section and it's like, oh, I'm hearing a story. Uh, I found this great. So, all right, I'll get back to my questions. Um, let's talk about the findings and the discussion on your paper. Um, how do you feel like the lack of representation um, is embodied and negotiated on a daily basis uh, in the UK? Um, so the lack of uh, representation is um, sort of negotiated through many different processes. Firstly, the emotional toll um, black and minority ethnic teachers are subject to throughout their roles as practitioners. Uh, this uh, emotional toll is visible as Shanice discusses uh, mistaken identity with a non-teaching member of staff, even though they look uh, nothing alike. Also, Shanice speaks about how, having, uh, how you know she's having to work twice as hard to gain the respect of white students daily, the pressure of being the quote-unquote expert on racism, and the loneliness of being the only one in the room that takes an anti-racist stance. This heavy emotional toll um, so, and loneliness can lead to feeling uh, isolated and further isolation in the workplace. As Acosta 2019 discusses, this feeling of isolation amongst minority ethnic teachers develops into professional alienation. This feeling resonates with Leon as he recalls students being surprised at him being a teacher, um, injustice when his manager wants to eradicate his cultural identity through his dress code and, fee and feeling his uh, face wouldn't, um, wouldn't fit when applying for jobs. The emotional toll uh, these teachers feel uh, leads to the feeling of isolation and increases the likelihood of attrition as well. The uncomfortable environments these teacher teachers are subject to creates the feeling of um, othering and not belonging. The long-term consequences for black and minority ethnic teachers are, pres are present and visible through Shanice, Leon and Clive's counter story. This story alludes to the discourse produced through predominantly sorry, uh, white workforce that te teaching is not a feasible career for black students. With Clive noting, how can you be someone you can't see? A statement which um, reverberates with uh, Blackshear 2022 research participants. Shanice provides further frustration to this sort of exasperated issue, noting it is an unsustainable cycle, no role model, no inspiration. Moreover, Leon draws attention to the areas of school that excludes black students uh, through physical spaces that promotes uh, white British culture, um, policies and activities. Uh, so, you know, in closing, the multitude of ways uh, black and minor ethnic teachers feel othered has a uh, flint off and um, dowling. 
um, in 2019, Lutu, further reminds these teachers that they do not belong in education, so there isn't a place for them to sort of teach within the educational system. So you had another theme about stereotyping. Uh, I'm wondering if you can give us examples of stereotypes imposed on black men by um, the white patriarchal society and explain how these create a menace for PE teachers. I think uh, a lot of the data, a lot of the narratives talk about those and give some really vivid uh, examples of that. Yeah, I'm happy to to track through this. And, and I think I'd direct the, um, the listeners to Bell Hooks's work. Um, I found her work a really useful uh, reference point throughout the years. And we use one of her um, later um, texts in the paper, which is We Real Cool, Black Men and Masculinity. But she, she talks about these sort of stereotypes um, across a number of her um, texts. And she draws attention to the negativity of, of these stereotypes, not just for, for black men and boys, but also for uh, black women and girls. So she talks about, she highlights and talks about the, the dangers of labeling, you know, black men as absent fathers and black boys as wayward students. Um, she talks about other stereotypes that exists about black men being seen as, you know, murderers and rapists and criminals. And it just positions black masculinity as something to be feared, something that is dangerous. And I think where her work is particularly effective is the way she can or the way she does link those kinds of images and ideas and beliefs to the ways in which black men become labeled and positioned then in society and that leads then to a restricting of opportunities and a limiting of them to particular roles so we don't see them as as teachers and, and educators and role models um, and we definitely, I think, in the counter story, we hear how those those stereotypes have transferred into um, Leon and, and Clive's working lives and how they have some very real kind of material consequences for both them and their students. So some of the examples in the story, we talk about the student who was channeled into rugby because of his physicality. Um, Denise talks about being funneled into sprint events in athletics when she was younger because of this stereotypical view that she's going to be faster. Um, Leon was talks about being overlooked for jobs because his image doesn't fit the school. Um, and he has to constantly kind of check and challenge himself and question the way he is talking and acting around his colleagues so um yeah I, I definitely would direct readers to some of bell hooks's or any of bell hooks's work but you know throughout like i've said like th throughout a number of her her texts she definitely talks about stereotypes how they're created and the kind of very material consequences they they can have for people of color yeah, there's just so many robust examples in the in the data about these um, of personal stories of personal experiences um, that I think are just really important to read. So uh, I'm wondering, however, is 
um, how how are these stereotypes stereotypes navigated by the participants in the in the research? Um, so, I believe uh, in many many different ways. Um, you know, during the counter story, uh, for example, um, so in Leon's case, he finds a mentor who is able to give him advice and have to present himself during meetings. Um, who offered him a, his first ever um, teaching position too, who was able to direct him towards uh, further opportunities as well. Um, Leon takes this mentorship and is keen to replicate it wherever he can in his own uh, teaching and leadership. So to try and break that uh, negative cycle surrounding black students. So he's trying to sort of pay, pay it forward within his own work. We also see this in his critique of uh, practice, including dominance of traditional competitive activities and lack of awareness of um, Muslim students during um, the, their sort of holy month of Ramadan. For Shanice, we see how she attempts to educate fellow teachers and has uh, culture and black history, uh, in culture and black history month, and attempts to offer them a different viewpoint and different ways of thinking. The research participants in this research all recognize, you know, their responsibility that they have within their school. Um, as being sort of black teachers and remaining committed to challenging racial stereotypes and also acting as role models to staff and students alike and raising standards and also um, sort of raising awareness as well. And I like one of the other examples that there was uh, a teacher who uh, pushed his students towards leadership opportunities and not necessarily the sports because what somebody in his life had done for him um, and to kind of they they question this idea of maybe that sport isn't the best avenue for all of all of their students because it just reinforces these things like being pushed towards rugby because they look a certain way or being pushed towards those track and field events that are uh, speed because that's who you might have seen the last time you turned on the track and field uh, world championships and winning medal or something like that. So um, I like that there was that type of um, balance there. And it seemed like it seemed like there was a lot more in these participants when they were considering how they're mentoring kids that are in their schools versus what just a, a teacher in suburbia and then predominantly white school with a white teacher that has to think about like which way are you mentoring the student um so I, yeah. I guess yeah go ahead Annette. yeah I, I think definitely when you when you look at the data and you read the story you're right there's there's I think what comes out for me is this idea there's there's just that awareness of um education being more than just sitting in a classroom and attending your lessons and um you know passing pieces of work there's a i guess i think there's there's a definite sense of the wraparound support that the teachers were providing providing their students that that awareness that they had of of doing that and like like Lucy said, the, the that sense of responsibility and acting as a role model um, to students. So, yeah, 
So, <laughs> yeah, and as we kind of uh, <clears throat> bring the discussion to a close, can you share with us the strategies you propose to increase the representation of Black educators at all levels of the PE profession? Um, absolutely. Um, it's, it's such a complex issue, you know, myself, um, Annette and Haley, you know, I believe there isn't just sort of one answer, but a multitude of actions that are needed to increase the representation of black and minor ethnic educators in education. So there's definitely sort of, you know, there's lots of different things that um, sort of need to be done um, sort of all at once to make, so, make that viable. It's also important to note that we do not have a definitive answer to this question as we draw on previous research uh, in an attempt to answer, you know, this um, complex phenomenon. Um, you know, I wonder if we, so we have to go back to sort of critical race theory and uh, recognise that racism is uh, systemic, built into the fabric of institutions, which, um, which includes schools, teacher training, which means that taking a critical lens to these is, you know, very important. Uh, for example, Flintoff and Dowling, I've called for a critical appraisal of um, teacher training to explore who is being recruited and who also is doing the recruiting. Where uh, where are um, sort of training teachers placed? How does the curriculum content reflect the issues students uh, face in sort of relation to uh, equity, diversity, and inclusion in the sort of contem contemporary classroom? And if we go back to uh, Tansin Ben's work uh, back in the sort of early 1990s. Um, we can also see how change was instigated and uh, and a positive positive impact um, was made, um, you know, throughout those uh, sort of concerned uh, sort of efforts. You know, there were key individuals and it was not just sort of one institution that, you know, was willing to make a um, sort of proactive approach to supporting change at all levels. You know, it's across schools and it's across teacher training programs. We also need to take a critical end to all aspects of policy and practice. Um, and, you know, Tara Blackshear's paper with um, uh, Brian Culp on their sort of interrogative uh, sort, of, um, sort of lens of, um, of the PET standards in the US using critical race theory as, a, as an a sort of an excellent read in regards to this. Um, going back to it, sort of the next previous discussion of sort of Blackshear's paper and her analysis of um, Shape America's uh, Teacher of the Year Award is brilliant in demonstrating the permeance of racism through uh, an all-white selection panel, the kinds of it, sort of criteria that were being used that overlook the different ways in which black educators make a difference to their um, students' lives. So making sure sort of selection panels, uh, whether you know it's teacher training, admissions, jobs, sort of awards, are, are reflected are, are reflective of the diversity of uh, young people, you know, we see in the classroom and indeed society also. So similarly, like ensuring that curricula is being written by sort of an ethnically diverse team and that um you know that it's not um, that it's all sort of a diverse and it's making sure that it's um, diverse in other ways also um we all we also we draw on you know all these other all these papers that we've um, sort of cited in our um, research you know if listeners obviously do want to go and um, uh, you know read that uh, full reference list yeah thanks and and I think that it, what's interesting reading this paper, because it's from a UK context, but a lot of the research that you cite is both in the UK or scholars in the UK and in the US and, you know, two very different countries with different backgrounds, but also uh, a shared culture in ways, a shared education style in some ways. 
Um, and I and I find it interesting to see that there are very, very similar problems in um in the lack of representation of um you know teachers of color, black teachers, minority teachers, Muslim teachers. Um, the lack of representation there, but then an increasing diversity of students. And, you know, you, in other situations, you would think like, why, why would you be citing this specific research on Shape America standards? But, you know, there's, there's so much in common and, you know, having Mara Simon on uh, this podcast before and talking about her work um, with specifically minority students and primarily white institutions there's so much crossover here and seeing her present some of her recent work at ARA last year as well there's there's such similarities in in these two papers and uh, even though we're uh, a gigantic ocean apart in in geography um, but I, I loved reading this paper um, I, I think it's a great addition to to the field, and I um, I think it's a great um, addition to my class, which students in my class will be listening to this podcast because I think it's a fantastic way to kind of learn about the experiences of uh, of teachers going through the initial teacher training process and and being and being role models as well. So I want to thank you both for your. For your time on coming on um is there anything else you want to add and not i don't think not from me uh, i don't know whether you want to add anything lewis um uh, uh, not really you know um, i'd just like to obviously thank you for the opportunity for having our podcast as well it's been lovely to be sat here um having these uh, really rich conversations also yeah. yeah, thank so, you, Risto. And I hope it's I'm hoping it's it's going to be of use to your students. So um and if people want to get in touch with myself and Lewis, then you know we're always open and happy to have these kinds of conversations with folks. Yeah, and, and I'm gonna tap you for a creative writing workshop soon. So don't you oh, worry, you'll be you'll be, in, <laughs> we'll be in contact. So uh, <laughs> I put the notes uh full of the references to this uh paper and other podcasts that we've had and contact information on how you can follow up if you want to engage further with this so thanks everybody for listening and thanks as always to alba rodriguez for her work in helping the produce podcast thanks